Should we try that again? Just want to make sure you're awake. Good morning, Life Church. All right. How many of you have had your coffee today? How many of you should have had your coffee today? All right. So now you know for next Sunday. All right. We're glad that all of you are here. Glad that you've joined us online if you are doing so. Uh, my name is John. I'm the executive pastor here at Life Church. And uh, we're excited to be here with you. And it's been a number of years. And no, I'm not resigning today. Maybe next week, but not today. That's a joke, by the way. Come on, guys. Uh, you'll get my sense of humor, hopefully, <laughs> at some point here today. Uh, Pastor Rich had minor surgery this last week, so he has asked me to fill in for him today. So please pray for Pastor Rich that his recovery will continue to go well. He is doing well, from what I understand, and uh, having a hard time keeping a six-foot-six guy down. But I think his family is doing a pretty good job of that. So just pray for all of them, especially for Shelly as she uh, deals with a sick guy. <laughs> All right. But uh, he does send his love and his greetings today, and he wishes he could be here, be here but uh, he'll be back in the pulpit soon enough. Most of you know that we are in the middle of a series right now called On Your Mark, and it's, from, it's taken from the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in Chapter 8 again today. And uh, I've entitled the message today, What About You? And that'll all make sense here in just a few minutes. So what about you? Let's go to Mark chapter 8, and let's look at verses 27 through 30. It begins like this. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Verse 30, but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And then in verse 20, again, then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is rich and true today. God, I ask that you'll give us faith to believe it and to put it into practice in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will help us to leave here today transformed because we mingle our faith with your word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here we are with two different gospel writers giving their specific perspectives for what is the same event. Jesus had gone off with his disciples to teach them, to encourage them, and to pray. Now, on the surface, Jesus seems to almost nonchalantly ask them a quick question. Who do people say I am? Their responses ranged from, some say you are the resurrected John the Baptist. Keep in mind, John the Baptist had been martyred for his faith back in Mark chapter 6. They go on to say, or you are the prophet Elijah or the prophet Jeremiah 
or maybe another Old Testament prophet who would come back to life. Jesus' question really had little to do with what the crowds were saying about him. It had everything to do with his next question. But what about you? But what about you? Who do you say I am? The disciples had journeyed with Jesus for some time by this point. They'd gotten to know him and had seen many of the miracles that he had done. I'm going to give you just a short list of those miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 1 through 8. And here they are. Mark chapter 1, Jesus drove out an evil spirit from a boy, and he healed a man with leprosy, plus he healed many other people, as recorded in Mark chapter 1. In chapter 2, it records the healing of a paralyzed man. Chapter 3, demons submitted to his authority. Mark chapter 4 records the account of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 5 recounts the deliverance of a demon-possessed man. In the same chapter, we find the record of the healing of a woman who had suffered with uncontrollable bleeding for 12 years. Plus, we find the story of a dead girl being raised back to life. Then in chapter 6, Mark tells us about the feeding of the 5,000. And we read about Jesus walking on water. And keep in mind, these are just some of the miracles that he performed. In Mark chapter 7, we learn about a girl being delivered from demon possession and of the healing of a deaf and mute man. Then in chapter 8, Mark tells us about the feeding of the 4,000 and the healing of the man at Bethsaida. During their time with Jesus, the disciples saw amazing demonstrations of God's power and love working through God's son, Jesus. But they still had a lot more to understand, a lot more to learn about who Jesus really was. Now let's look again at verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now it's obvious Jesus knew the answer to that question. He's God, he knows all things. But I think he was looking for responses to those questions from his disciples. So, of course, he knew. Ever since he began his earthly ministry, he was always among people. And most of them were not exactly sure who he was. In fact, very few really knew who he was. There were discussions and controversies about who he was. Many in the crowds had been impacted by Jesus... But all they really knew is that Jesus was God's gift to them because he met their needs continually. There were healings, there were provisions of food and other miracles that Jesus did for people. Now the priests on the other hand were convinced that Jesus was a fraud, an imposter who pretended to be a prophet and a man of God. They called him a blasphemer who had presented himself as God. But the crowds didn't seem to care very much about whether he was a fraud or not as long as they were benefiting from being around Jesus. Now, at the same time, the crowds of people could not have fully believed the lies about Jesus because they weren't blind to the fact that God was actually with him. He was working through him. They had their own opinions about Jesus, no doubt. Some of them are saying that he was a prophet. Others were saying that he was just a good guy. Jesus had become the topic of conversation in many different circles. 
So Jesus brought up the subject of who he was to his disciples. Again, he began with a question, who do people say that I am? Again, in Mark chapter 8, verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So again, there were all kinds of ideas floating around about who Jesus might be, but they seemed to be just general ideas. They were nothing more than people's opinions. But here's the interesting thing regarding all the different thoughts people had about Jesus. No one apart from the religious leaders seems to have had anything bad to say about him. Actually, people were sure that he was a good person. And not just a good man, but a great man, and even, an, and even a prophet. At times, the crowds gave Jesus high praise. It didn't seem to matter to them that he was maligned by the re religious leaders. They seemed to have seen him as one of the greatest people who had ever lived. Now, let's take a closer look at that point. It is a good thing that many people recognize Jesus as a great man who had been sent from God. Still, there was nothing more, this was nothing more than an idea, an opinion, but it wasn't the whole truth. Their high praise of Jesus did not even come close to the real truth, and their view was really pretty short-sighted and limited. Now, they were, they were not much different from the people of any generation and of any culture. Like our world today, most people with any amount of reasoning can't deny that Jesus was an extraordinary person, unlike any other person who had ever lived. Even many of the enemies of Christianity have been respectful enough to give Jesus some of the highest honor, even if they at the same time disdain, hate, and even martyr his followers. Some honor him as a prophet, others see him as a supreme humanitarian. The list of honors goes on and on, but honor and recognition are nothing if they lack biblical truth. They are nothing if they are missing his life-giving qualities. To just honor Jesus as a great man misses the mark of truth. In the end, nothing counts toward Jesus' character qualities except truth. Not just that he lived a good life, not simply honoring Jesus as a great prophet, not even imitating his spotless life. Nothing but truth really counts. Now consider Jesus' words in John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So the crowds may have honored Jesus as a great man, maybe even as a man of God, but as long as there was no truth in their hearts, the truth of who he really was and is, Jesus, the Son of God, missed the mark. Knowing who Jesus is is not just an idea or an opinion. It's a matter of truth because to have the truth or not to have the truth is a matter of life and death. Because of this, Jesus asked his disciples the second question. And how they would answer this question would determine the course of their lives and their eternity. Let's read again in verse 29. It says, but what about you? What about you? Who do people say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. 
And this is no insignificant declaration. We have to understand that at the time, no one would dare allow himself or herself to be called the Christ. Now, let me give you a side note here. In Hebrew, the Christ is translated Messiah. The term the Christ is the Greek translation, but they both mean the anointed one or the chosen one. Peter's confession of you are the Christ became what we Christians call the confession or profession of faith. And Peter's confession became the foundation of all Christian faith and the key to our eternal life. So here's a question for you. Why is this confession so important? Why is it so important to confess Christ as God's son, the anointed one, the Christ? I think it's because our salvation rests on it. To confess or not to confess Jesus as the Christ has always been a matter of life and death. In fact, it's a matter of eternal life and death. And this confession is not just a confession that your mind makes, but it must be a confession made from your heart. Your mind alone cannot comprehend and conclude that Jesus is the Christ. Only your heart can come to know who Jesus really is and then to confess him as the Messiah, the Christ. Luke chapter 5 tells the story of when Peter met Jesus for the first time. Peter was out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He had spent the entire night trying to catch fish, but he hadn't caught a thing. So he and his companions rowed back to shore to wash their nets and to call it a night. But on that morning, Jesus was there with the crowd already. And Jesus asked Peter if he could use his boat as a platform for his morning sermon. Out of what might have been a courtesy to a holy man, Peter agreed and took Jesus into his boat. Now, when the message was over, Jesus told Peter to take his boat out farther and try to fish once more. When he did, something amazing happened. He caught a huge number of fish. The Bible records that there were 153 large fish, to be specific. Somebody had to count all those fish. So again, he caught a large number of fish, even though he had just come up empty from a whole night of not catching anything. But it, was only fi- but it wasn't only, excuse me, it wasn't only fish that Peter caught that day. He also caught a glimpse of who Jesus really was. Jesus was no ordinary prophet. Jesus was no ordinary holy man. He was not a fraud. He was indeed the anointed one. He was the Christ. Now, following this incident on the Sea of Galilee, Peter immediately began his life as a disciple of Jesus. Day after day, Peter spent time with the Lord. He witnessed his love. He saw Jesus' compassion for the suffering. He saw Jesus' patience with those who were weak. He saw how Jesus loved people. His words and actions found their way into Peter's heart. No one probably ever thought that the tough fisherman Peter would ever change his life. Probably not even Peter himself, but he did. Peter's spiritual eyes were opened, and he saw Jesus for whom he really was for the very first time. He began to see that Jesus was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was and is the Christ. 
Now, when Jesus asked his disciples, but what about you? Peter blurted it out. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. It was a powerful confession, and we call it Peter's confession of faith. And not only because it takes faith to make such a proclamation, but because it is a confession that came from Peter's heart. Now, much of the world has heard about Jesus, and many claim to know him, but to know Jesus is more than just head knowledge. It is heart knowledge. When Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him in verse 30, I believe it's because a confession like this is personal and not the experience or confession of anyone else. Peter's heart had been opened and he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. He was once again affirming his commitment to Jesus. You are the Christ became the footing on which Peter built his life and the foundation upon which every individual Christian since that moment has built their lives. And this confession isn't only made once in a person's life. It comes often. In fact, it comes as often as there are struggles in our lives, as often as there are temptations to overcome. When troubles come at us and life is difficult, what else could be the anchor of our lives? Only this confession of faith can be the anchor. As long as we are confessing Jesus as the Christ and living for him every day, our life remains anchored in the truth. Now, keep in mind, I can't make that confession for you. If I could, I would confess it for all of you. And you can't make that confession or profession for me. I have to do it myself, and I have to do it continually. Now, that brings us back to verse 27 of Mark 8. The disciples, having witnessed and experienced all of the miracles I mentioned earlier and so many more, are now asked for their opinion of who Jesus was to them. The Greek word here used for you is written in the singular. Jesus was not asking what they thought of him collectively or as a group of disciples. Rather, he was asking them individually what they thought about him. Like Peter, were the other disciples ready to make a confession? I believe they were. It doesn't record that, but their commitment to him is proven in the following chapters. And that's the question Jesus is asking all of us. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And then a follow-up question, and we all have to answer this. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to me? If you will, let's take a moment and bow your heads, close your eyes with me. <clears throat> You may be here or watching online and you have not answered that question yet. Who is Jesus to me? My question to you is, are you ready to answer it today? Are you ready to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, as the Christ? Are you ready to place your faith and trust in him today? If so, I want you to simply raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Yes. Many hands. I want you to take it a step farther. 
I want everybody to repeat after me. Dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to invite you into my life. I ask you to come in right now. Save me and change me. And help me to live every day for you. I turn my life over to you today. Be the Lord of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's a big step, praying that prayer. And I want you to take the next step. There's a connection card located in the seat pocket in front of you. And on there, you have the opportunity to uh, fill this out with your name and so forth. And there's a spot at the bottom that says, I'm ready. And one of them is, I'm ready to follow Jesus. If you've made that commitment for the first time today, I'd like for you to fill that out and take it to the guest information table in the lobby after the service. But even more than that, for those of you who have made a first-time profession of faith, I want to pray with you at the altar after the service. So let's pray right now. And then I want to pray with those of you who've made that first-time commitment this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us today through your word. God, I pray that you will help us to live for you each and every day. There's no one that I'd rather serve than you. And I pray that that will be the consensus of everyone here, that you are the one that we want to serve, that we want to love, that we want to be in relationship with. God, as so many begin that journey today, I pray that you will help them, come alongside them, disciple them, send people their way who will help disciple them. Help them to choose to do things your way and not the same way that they've chosen to do up to this point. But God, I pray that you will help us to live a life that's pleasing to you, that's empowered by you, and help us to confess every day that you are our Savior, you are our Lord, and you are the Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. Don't forget, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we have Bible studies for everyone here. God bless you. Thank you so much.